today is an exciting day in the history of our church. Um, today is the day, it marks the start of our 30 for 30 journey. We've been talking about it for a few months now, but today really marks the start where we dive in together and seek the Lord together to see what he would have for us over the next 16 weeks as his people. Now, at the root of this, obviously, you know, I mean, there's no hiding that. There, there is a building project at the root of some of this, right? We're, we're looking at our facility and, and adding on to it and renovating pieces of it. But that's, in my mind, I've told people this, and I really believe this with my whole heart. It's the icing on the cake. It's the icing on the cake. What, what I, I trust and hope we're going to see God do in and through our church uh, over the coming uh, months and years together. Well, we, we picked this title, 30 for 30, because uh, we want to remember the 30 years of ministry and the 30 years of things that God has already been up to and doing here in our church. And do you know it's good to remember the past? Do you know that? It is. It's very good, in fact, to remember the past. It's good, back to, it's good to look back and see all the things that God has done for us over the years, whether that's as a church or as a family, as individuals. And in fact, when you do, you could even make the argument that as we look back, Jesus gets even more glory. Because we look back and we see with maybe greater clarity what he was up to and what he did. And man, the only way that happened was because of the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so it's good for us to remember. When we look back, we see his, him in control more than we ever knew. We see his provision. We see his protection. We see his love and his glory. And... I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive um, into some things this morning, and we're going to end up in John chapter 6. But in doing, I'm going to show you here in a moment that that God tells us to remember the past, and he's got a distinct purpose in it when he tells us to do it. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, uh, thanks for the opportunity to serve and to lead here. Jesus, you know all the things that... um, those who lead here have been up to in the last few years, uh, working and planning and praying and uh, seeking your face. And so I pray today that you'd help me to communicate that well. And over the next few months that um, all of us uh, would join together in that vision and in that, uh, that mission that we believe you've planted in our hearts. So Lord, guide my words today, I pray. The enemy would love to take what I say and twist it or use it to cause division. Uh, but instead, my my Holy Spirit, you bring great unity to our church and joy as we pursue mission together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's good to remember the past. And in fact, over and over in the Old Testament, we see God telling his people to remember. Over and over. Isaiah chapter 46. Don't forget this. Keep it in mind, God says. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things that I've done in the past for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. He tells him, remember. And then in Malachi, again, these are just a handful of examples. Remember to obey the law of Moses. All the decrees and regulations I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. He's also always found to be reminding people of what he's done. He doesn't just remind us of what to remember and what to do, but he reminds us of what he has done and who he is. One of my favorites is in Isaiah chapter 43. And uh, check out verses. The whole chapter really is God telling his people to remember. But look specifically with me at verses 15 through 17. The Lord says this. He goes, I am the Lord, your Holy One. 
Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters. When did he do that? Parting the Red Sea, right? And, uh, and, and even the Jordan River. I made a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses, and I drew them beneath the waves. They drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. You know what God's saying? He's saying to his people, he says, hey, do you, do you remember that? Do you remember when I did that? When uh, all, all of you, you're, you're coming across the Red Sea. I'm leading you out of Egypt. I'm doing great things. And you, you remember that? And like you got across and, and it was dry land. And then Pharaoh's army's coming. And, and you, were, you were so afraid. I remember you were so afraid. But, but then you turned around and what happened? I drowned them all to protect you. Do you remember that? How cool. was God's like, do you remember? Don't forget that. Remember? Do you remember how I conquered all your enemies? In summary, God's saying, I'm your Lord, your creator, and your king, and I have done many great things for you in the past. That's what God's saying to his people, Israel. And I believe he says the same thing to us. Do you remember all the things God has done for you over the years? All the things he's done in our church over the years. Do you remember? Do you remember? God's like, I did that. I did that through you. I did that. Now the question is, God's always telling us to remember, but the real, real question is why? Why does he tell us to remember? And, and here's what I'm going to say, and this is kind of a big statement. I, I'm going to contend with you that the only reason God ever tells us to remember the past is so that we see his glory and trust him for the future. He, he's always future-oriented. Do you believe that? Every time God tells us to remember the past, it's always with the future in mind. He's like, don't forget that I did this and I haven't changed. I'll do it again. Don't, don't forget um, maybe the ways you sinned in the past because I don't want you to again in the future. Don't, don't forget who I am. I haven't changed and I'll be with you through the waters, through the hard times. I'll take you through and, and I'm building my church and I'm using you to do it. Isn't that great news? That's why God tells us to remember. It's always with the future in mind. In fact, there's sometimes when God is so blatant, he actually tells his people, hey, he goes like this. He goes, remember all those cool things I did? Forget it. He actually does it right here in Isaiah chapter 43. He says, uh, but forget all of that. Remember the Red Sea? Yeah, forget it. Remember, remember everything in the world? Yeah, forget it. Why? It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, God says. He has his eyes on the future, doesn't he? It's nothing compared to what I'm about to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Don't you see it, God says? Why don't you quit looking back, longing for the past, and and, and instead of longing for it, trust me for more in the future. Because I'm a good and powerful God. And I love to do great things through my people. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Pay attention. It's beginning to spring forth even now. Don't you see it coming? God asks. Loved ones, that's the heart of the next 16 weeks. It's saying, hey, let's remember all the good things God did for us. But but not just to remember it. But to look ahead and go, "Um, God hasn't changed. And uh, everything he's done in the past, he desires to do as much and more through us in the future. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's not done with you? Do you believe he's not done with us as a church? 
that we can step out in faith and trust him and, and take risks for him. He, he's proven himself in the past. Let's trust him for the future. Amen. Okay. That's, that's a great spot for a really loud amen. 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 And you know, I told you the, the tangible focus, yeah, it's going to be geared towards a building project, but it, there's more to it than that. I mean, this building, all it is, is it's a tool we have for ministry. It's a tangible expression of God's goodness to us, isn't it? I mean, how many people have come to faith sitting in the seat you're sitting in right now? There's many. How many have been baptized in this room? How many have brought family members and friends for years, and then finally, eventually, one day, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart, and they're changed for eternity? How how many children have trusted the Lord in this facility through heart and soul and through Wawasee Kids and through Awana over the years? How many students uh, from, from literally sitting at the desk in my office to the other end in the youth room, I've seen people trust Jesus Christ right here. And, and this is just a tangible expression of God's goodness to us. It's a tool we have to use for ministry. Amen? And so, yeah, it's, it's at the heart of it, but it's just the means. It's not the end. It's just, it's just the car that gets us there, in a sense. The real work is ministry. The real work is loving people and inviting them to follow Jesus with us. And this is a tool, though, that God's given us to use toward that end. So... We're talking about a physical building, but remember, it's, it's with a view towards God's kingdom in mind. So, Lord willing, what we're, we're doing is we're pursuing a, a, a small addition on the front and then a large renovation of some existing space um, so that our building does a better job of its mission of facilitating ministry. We're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And, and friends, uh, I've, I've, I'm not going to cover all this again. We've covered a lot of it already. But you need to know this has been at work in the hearts of, of men and, and women, too, who lead in your church family for years. In fact, I've heard some of these things talked about from the, for the entire 14 years that I've been here. I've heard it come up. It's not on a whim. It's been prayerfully considered. And the desire isn't just for a flashy building. You're going to see it's not that flashy. It's to see more people meet Jesus Christ. I hope you trust me in that. I hope you trust the other leaders in your church with that and their heart toward that. That's where we're headed. Amen. And, and if you don't trust me, that, that's okay. But then, and I say this kind of tongue in cheek and then also half serious, but just like fire me now because it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And we love the Lord, we're seeking his heart, and we really believe this is a piece of what he's calling us to do. And by the way, I think the timing is perfect. You know, uh, even though I'm tired, I'm exhausted, honestly, ministry's hard, but I've never been more encouraged as I look to the future of our church than I am today. I really am not. I look at some of the things happening, I look at some of the plans that are in place for the future in terms of ministry, there's exciting things on the horizon, friends. There really are. I believe it. I believe it's God's timing. When I consider some of the things of why I think this is the time, I consider the fact that we're debt-free. We've been debt-free for over 10 years. And then when I look at the growth in our kids' ministry and the way that that end of the facility is being used more and more, and how can we make that more functional for them, 
and are seeing families connected to our church because of that kids' ministry. How about when I look at your generosity over the last few years? The last few years are the most generous years in the history of our church, and each year seems to be getting more and more generous. Do you know last year, 2016, is the most generous year in the history of Wabasee Bible by far? You gave like, it's something like one hundred or $130,000 above what was budgeted. And with that, we were able to, to, to fix up the HVAC system in here. We were able to build a church and a, um, a facility for the house parents of our orphanage in India. Uh, there's been, been funds already given, uh, tens of thousands of dollars already given just towards uh, this project that's coming. That's, an, that's confirming to me that the spirits at work in your hearts. People don't give like that um, unless the Holy Spirit's doing something. Amen? That's generosity. And it's exciting. And it's not just your finances. It's your talent and your time. Uh, those plans, too, but in the future, by the way, include hiring another pastor. I know we haven't talked about it a lot lately, but you're going to hear about it more uh, within the next few months, I think, soon. And uh, we made a big shift, and it's, it's been taking time to, to work through those things. But trust us in that. It's coming. I, just, I see God at work in unique ways I haven't seen him at work in the last 14 years. And as a pastor, it's exciting. I'll be honest, it's scary, too, because you go, it's kind of like the, the dog catching the fire truck. What do you do now? But it's, it's good. It's exciting. And so as we head into this journey... Today marks an invitation to you. Starting this journey, all all we're doing today is we're extending to you an invitation. And that invitation is to join us on this journey. Now, later there's going to come an invitation when we get into April, an invitation to give. But that's not here yet. Right now, we're just inviting you to think about giving. (laughs) That's that's pretty threatening, isn't it? To, To pray about how would God use you towards this end. It's an invitation to join us. There's no pressure. We're not going to manipulate you. We're not going to twist your arm. We're not going to call you up and say, Hey, uh, Sonia, you should be giving a a lot more, in fact. Here's a number. Here's a number. No, that's never going to happen. Never. It's not. I'd get knocked down. I think I'd get punched by Sonia if I did that. (laughs) But you just need to know that it's, it's an invitation. It's saying, hey, in fact, it's following, we'll, we'll preach through this later this spring, but it's following the model of David in the temple where he's, the Lord put a vision in David's heart and then in the leaders, and David gave, and the leaders gave, and then they went to everybody and said, hey, do you want to join us? And everybody was like, that sounds like a great vision. Yeah, we do. And there was great rejoicing. It's invitation. If you don't want to join us, that's okay. But I think you're going to miss out on some things that the Lord is up to. I really do. And I hope you do. There's ministry ahead. There's kingdom ahead. There's a ton of prayer ahead. On, on Sunday, February 5th, is our first concert of prayer together. I hope you'll join us that night, 6 to 7. It's just going to be a, a guitar and prayer. That's it. I hope you'll join us on February 5th. Did I say February 5th? Did I say the right day? Sunday, February 5th, 6 to 7 p.m. I hope there's wide participation. I hope you join us on this journey considering what the Lord would have, have you do. And I think there's great joy ahead. And one thing to keep in mind as we head out on a journey is that we're a family. Amen? We're family. 
We're a spiritual family. Now, did you ever go on a road trip with your family when you were little? What was that like? I've got three little brothers. So here's how it usually went. You'd get in the car and we'd take off. And from the very back, where are we going? I don't want to go. Take me back. I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't my idea. Uh Uh-uh. Let let me out. And just, hold on. Just just bear with us. Come along. We're going on a journey. It's going to be good. And so you go for a while. And then you have that extreme, but then the other extreme, you'd have, I have another brother who's like, dude, when are we going to get there? I cannot wait for this to happen. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Come on. And you know, this is a journey because we have that whole spectrum in our family, don't we? We've got some of you where you're like, this, I don't, this makes me uneasy. I don't know if I even want to go on this journey. Let me out of the car. And there's others of you, literally since like last summer, you're like, when are we starting? Like, uh, I've got a shovel. I can start digging now. Like when? <laughs> when are we there? Are we there yet? So keep in mind that it's a journey as a family. And it means bearing with one another. It also means that, that even in some of the plans and some of the things we do, uh, we're not all going to like it entirely. It's based on the whole for mission and for ministry, not preferences. I mean, there's things personally, I helped on the design team. There, there's, pers- there's things personally I would change if I could, if it was just totally up to my preference. But it's not. It's with a view for the whole church in mind and God's mission in mind, right? Because we're a family. So keep that in mind. And even if you don't feel like coming along with us, um, hang in there. There's a destination in the end, and then we'll be on to something else, and you won't have to worry about it anymore. It's a good thing about journeys. They end. So I just encourage you, though, to join us, to trust me, to trust your elders, your deacons, and come along. That's the invitation. So today we're inviting you to join us in prayer, in ministry, and eventually... um, We'll get to talking about finances. But one of the things that's going to happen is starting next Sunday, we're going to take five weeks and we're going to have a five-week series called Generous Life. And during this five weeks, uh, we're going to talk about being generous with our lives. Now, you hear generous and you hear building campaign, you think they just want my money. No, we don't. Again, you're going to be invited to give, not pressured to give. And and so when we talk about a generous life, it's more than just your money. It's your time, your talent, and your treasure. Where are you giving those things to serve the Lord? I'm going to invite Kirk Barger up. Kirk's here somewhere. There he is. And uh, Kirk and his wife, Annette, are actually uh, helping lead this arm of the journey of of stewardship, of taking care of the things God's given us. And uh, you'll hear about this from Kirk here. As for... Yep, we're on. As for many of you, maybe you don't know us yet. We're, we've been here a couple of years, but kind of hiding in the background. And uh, it's a joy to be able to be here and serve with you. My name is Kirk and my wife in the back, Annette, as we've already been mentioned. We are actually a part of a team that has been put together uh, on our 30 for 30 journey. And we're what's called the Stewardship Education Liaison. You say, what in the world is that? Well, that's basically just a snazzy name, in other words, to say that we're the ones that's going to help oversee and assist with the teaching and equipping of our church during the 30 for 30 journey. We're really excited about it. It, it starts next week, as Josh has already mentioned, and it really is, it has to do with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, at least 6 and 7, but specifically 6. He said this, listen, consider this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And whoever sows generously will also reap generously, i.e., they will have a generous life. And really by using this verse as a springboard, we're, we're launching these next five weeks and even further on. We will hope that this five-week study does, doesn't just end after five weeks. But as we have and develop a generous life, that that would carry on for the next several years on our 30 for 30 journey. In fact, as Josh has already mentioned, starting next week, we're going to begin. In fact, Josh is going to begin a series of messages centered on a generous life. At the same time, from our preschool all the way up through our 110 groups, we're going to be focusing on what it means to have and to live a generous life. If you're a 110 leader and you haven't already picked up your copy of of, uh, the 110 studies for a generous life, please be sure to see myself or catch my wife or Mike back in the, um, the welcome booth. You'll be able to pick that up. As we take that step and we study and we are taught and we are equipped on what it means to live a truly generous life, we hope that you'll catch that. You'll get the excitement of what it means to, 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 to live generously. In fact, not only are we going to be hearing Pastor Josh's messages and being taught in 110 groups and even in our Sunday, or not Sunday school, but our children's church and our groups all the way up, there's also going to be devotionals that will be handed out next week. I believe everything will be set direct, yeah, both family and individual devotionals for living a weekly generous life that you can take time to study during the week and find out what that means. So be sure next week to pick those up. But I want you to realize, too, even as Josh has already emphasized, when we refer to a generous life, we're not just talking about finances. As Josh already emphasized, the focus of our journey through a generous life is about learning how to give. And that, again, is through our treasures, whether it's finances or resources. Many of us have resources. Many of us have finances. There's no doubt about that. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you aren't uh, equipped financially. Maybe you're struggling right now. Well, we want to take that one step further, and we want to emphasize not only the treasures, but we want to emphasize your talents. Many of you have talents that you can, you can lend to this ministry and can give to this ministry through those talents. As well, there's also time. This takes a lot of Josh's time. This takes a lot of the board's time. This takes a lot of those that are intensely involved, intently involved in this to, to spend time, whether it be setting up meetings, whether it be... Uh, meals, whether it be the prayer team, all of those are involved, but you also could help with, with time, whether it be making phone calls or, or helping in the office or uh, just praying for Josh. Take your time to pray for Josh. So we want to encourage you as you think about this, what it means to live a generous life through your treasures, through your time, and through your talents, that all of these will help us to in, be enriched by what God is going to do through these general life, or generous life messages and studies. So what I want you to do is set some time aside this week, pray about it. See what God is going to begin to do in your life and in our church as you think what it means to live a generous life. And finally, sit back, buckle your seatbelts, and hang on because we're going to see what God is going to do in amazing ways in our generous life. Thanks, Kurt. It's a great summary of, of some of the things and where we're heading. And guys, I'm excited. I've been a part of, of journeys like this at two previous churches growing up. And um, to see God work in just some powerful ways in, in people's hearts. 
And to see then that spill out into the community and into lives being changed. I really hope you'll join us. I hope you join us. So uh, we shared uh, some of the plans of, of the facility already a few weeks ago, or actually a couple months ago now. And we've already begin, uh, begun gathering some feedback from some of you, most of it positive, others some things maybe we missed or forgot. And that's been good. And I don't want to take a ton of time to do that again today, but I just want to review that really briefly and uh, talk about one aspect of it. And then uh, we're going to dive into John chapter 6. You still with me? Yeah? All right, so here's the Why? The why. Remember that the facility, this, this whole expansion project, this renovation is, is built on ministry goals. We, we are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Uh, we, we unpacked that new mission statement over the course of six weeks, actually, this fall. And it was exciting even hearing from, from Tom. And uh, Tom, you coming up afterwards and saying, man, that's, it's new words, but that captures the exact heart of when this church was planted and nothing's really changed other than the way we're saying it. But we're sent out to love people and invite them to follow Jesus. And what we want is for our facility to live up to its name and help facilitate ministry, to help facilitate that mission. And, and so in, in terms of strategy, it's, it's kind of fourfold of how we do this. See, uh, we, Sundays have become a major focus. We've pulled everything back to Sundays so that you can be sent into the community and be involved in other things during the week. And then also uh, get involved in a 110 community group during the week. Uh, Because of this, our facility uh, takes on more importance in a certain sense on Sunday mornings because it's a primary connection point. And so we want to see it really function well in that way for connections and for our kids' ministry, but also for 110 groups. Uh, There's been, with this series coming up, there's been people calling quite a bit to say, hey, can we use the facility for these five weeks with our 110 group? And we're finding out we, there isn't a good spot for them to meet. There's some actually meeting in my office for a couple of the weeks. And so we want to make our facility more functional for 110 groups. And then for supplemental ministries like uh, seminar weekends, Doctrine Wednesday, things like that. And finally, living missionally is, is part of our strategy. And loved ones, we're sent to love people. So uh, this process, I'm going to fly by really quick again, and you can ask me questions. Maybe most of you have heard this. If you haven't, you're getting the, the Cliff Notes version, okay? But, but we started looking at our facility. It actually began there, and I think you're the one that comes to mind as the first one to bring it up a little over two years ago in, in one of our board retreats. And you said, um, you know, we're going to be 30 years old here pretty soon. Um, our facility's aging. Uh, how do we, I'm paraphrasing, how, how do we... Uh, invest in it and make sure that it, it doesn't just fall apart and, and we still have a good place to do ministry for my kids when they get to be my age. Did I summarize it pretty well? And, and that started this journey on the board of saying, okay, what, what do we need to do in terms of making our facility as functional as it can be for ministry and the ways things have changed and getting it up to date because parts of it haven't been touched in 30 years. So we started this process, and over a couple years, there were over 100 people involved in that process. And remember that the focus of all of it is for Jesus' glory, others' good, and our joy. And late in 2015, we appointed an official building and design team uh, to address these issues in our facility as it relates to this strategy. First is surge space. We have a need for better flow for people to move effectively and efficiently from one end of the building to the other. Um, Traditional church facilities, you have like a a big worship space, a small common space that's really a big hallway, and a lot of times winding hallways. This is like the church I grew up in. Maybe some of yours was like this. And even up up to 20 years ago, this is how many churches were being built. 
Well, as ministry started to change, uh, they went to a different model where instead of all these things, um, there was a, a big common space. And then each area of ministry kind of flowed off of this common space. And to get from one area to the other, you came back through the commons and then over to that area. And it's called a functioning church facility. And it, it, it helps ministry function better and flow happen better and connection uh, be more uh, uh, natural on a Sunday morning and uh, during events for the church. And it keeps areas like our kids' ministry secure. So, so we wanted to make our church more functional, closer to that model if, if we were able to. Um, we also tasked them with this, uh, of common space. You know, 110 groups needing spaces to meet. We want more common space for people to rub shoulders, to stick around for a while after the service, to have some soft seating, even during the week where uh, maybe moms can come in with their preschoolers, let them run around the building for a while while they sit and have coffee and just unwind and pour into one another. Um, as one example, kids' ministry space, we wanted it to be more secure and more functional to, to how we're doing children's ministry today and to be flexible for ways it might change in the future. And then stewardship of space. We looked at our space and we said there's so much of it that only gets used for a fraction of the week. And really, like this room, it's the biggest space in the facility. There's only one way we can ever use it. Uh, are we being good stewards of that? Um, and then finally, just a master site plan of any plans we did, making sure that they were, as best we could, future-proof and flexible for the future. So that the next generation, when they do the uh, 60 for 30 campaign, um, we didn't bottleneck them somehow. And we outlive our own lives in ministry. So that's the why. Here's the what. Uh, and uh, Rocky, I think I'm just going to skip way ahead and not really go into all of this, but um, there's a, a slideshow that plays out there. I'll, you're going to get some videos emailed to you with uh, some of these plans that explain all of these whys more and how these designs uh, impact and address those whys. Again, this isn't just about having a nice building. We're trying to fix some of these issues and make our, our facility more functional and do more ministry to see Jesus get more glory, others get more good, and us get more joy. Amen? That's the goal. And so I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, if you skip down a ways, Rock, there's a couple um, renderings where it shows kind of the facade of the building. And I'll at least take you on a walkthrough if you haven't seen this for some of you um, in terms of the what. If you just find the where it shows a picture of the church from outside, we'll, we'll skip to there. Or I'm going to spend way too much time on this. Can you tell that I, my wife joked um, after the last time we presented this and I'd spent way too long talking about it all. She's like, that's what you get when you've got a pastor who used to study architecture and is passionate about it. That was what I originally planned to go into was architecture. Here's the front of the building. And uh, this is what the new facade will look like. It's just a small addition onto the front. Uh, you see that here in a moment. Uh, it should pop up. Have any luck? There we go. And that, that roof is flat, again, to be flexible so we can move out farther. Uh, one of the issues here that was addressed was, hey, maybe we, we could, that overhang would be nice. We really appreciate that, especially some of the older crowd. And so that's, we're going to try to work something in to make sure that doesn't go away. Um, but then going on, here's from a little bit of a distance, just to give you an idea. It's not going to be a, a whole lot different looking from the front. But here's a, a video walkthrough that uh, they put together for us. There is where we are right now. You can kind of see it. That's the way it's looked for uh, the entire time it's been here. 
Um, and this is just a rendering of, of part of that. Part of the, the plans include to level the floor in here so that we can reconfigure the space for, uh, for different types of, of, of gatherings, um, not, for, uh, not, not turning it into a gym. Uh, if you've heard that, that's wrong. Um, but just making it more flexible. So you could have banquets in this room that wouldn't fit in the fellowship hall. So that you could, uh, so that we could, if we had smaller gatherings for worship, we could reconfigure the chairs, do some things like that. Also, with a with a flat floor for many of you, uh, whether you're you're just getting older and it's harder to stand on a slope floor or navigate it, or maybe you have a disability, uh, it, it allows you more flexibility within this space. And uh, just some other things. But here's the entrance. Let's walk through really briefly. I'm brand new. I'm walking in. I meet these people at the Connect desk who I joked last time have never been through uh, Randy and Robin's training. They just look a little grumpy. They need to smile more. And we move around, and uh, you can get an idea of how big that space is now. And there'll be some soft seating scattered throughout it, kind of a self-serve coffee bar over there. And uh, then I'm going to take my kids over to the kids' ministry. Today, if I do that, I have to wind these uh, narrow hallways. Uh, take a left, take a right, take a left, and there'll be somebody there, I think. But if you, if you have a baby, you've got to keep going past that somebody way to the back. And uh, in this plan, you'll, you just go through a couple doors, and you're right there to check your kids in. And also our nursery check-in will be right there. There'll be a nursing mom's room uh, right off of the nursery. Now, if you're nursing, uh, you've got to go grab your child, bring them all the way back through over to here, and then take them all the way back. And now you just grab them and and duck in, and you can watch the service on the television in there. Um, But you get an idea. The hallways are wider. The classrooms, uh, as we keep going, will kind of pan up and you'll see uh, this space can be used then these classrooms and even this gathering space will have some soft seating for when 10 groups to meet for gathering and connection space um, you pull out and uh, get an idea how big that is the classrooms it just shows different configurations there just to show that it can be used in different ways and so there's four rooms that become one big room we want to be flexible with the space. By the time all of this, if the Lord would lead us and we do all this, uh, instead of having only a couple rooms that are uh, uh, multifunctional, uh, we're only going to have a couple rooms that are not multifunctional. So we'll be better stewards of what God's given us. Come back out. Maybe I come back in. I decide to walk over, uh, grab a little coffee maybe, and uh, bump into somebody there. And grab my coffee, go back in, and give you an idea just coming into the worship center. And uh, there's more doors to flow in and out of this room just to make that easier. And even when those doors open, it'll feel like one large space together. Um, You can come in and and see the room, and it'll just be different and, I think, good. But I want to skip ahead here a little bit because one aspect of this whole plan that we never got to last time and um it wasn't intentional it's just uh, i was a little windy but never got to you know one of the questions that's come up and maybe you've already heard um is okay so that's great josh but i get the how i get the i get the why i get the what but um how about the other what like what does this cost well, the, the total cost to, to do these renovations, we've, we've picked mostly renovations because to renovate is about half the cost. You can cover twice the square footage in renovations versus expansion. We want to be good stewards of our finances. But it is. It's, it's expensive. That's the cost of, of building in North America. It's about $1.2 million, and that's our range. It, it could be a little more. It could be a little less. But it involves a lot of things. Now, to give you um, an idea... 
30, almost 30 years ago to the amount to finance this end of the building would equate 1.2 to 1.5 million in today's dollars. And today, if you would uh, just bulldoze the whole facility, I asked, when we met with DJ, I said, what, what would it cost us to rebuild it? And they said, probably about $3.5 million to rebuild this facility as is from scratch. So it's an investment to make it last longer. And it, it is expensive. It's a lot of money. And, and so the question, we've talked about the why, we've talked about the what. Here's what I want to look at God's word for, for the rest of our time. And to get our minds thinking as we go on this journey together, uh, how? <laughs> You're thinking it, aren't you? You're like, how? Um, I, I don't have that money in the bank. I, I already, I'm, 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 I'm tight the way it is. How, Josh? How will we do that? Well, my answer to how is pretty simple. I think God will do it. Oh, what a lazy answer, Josh. Come on. God will do it. I'd figure a pastor would say that. God will do it. Sure he will. Come on. He's not just going to mail us a check tomorrow, Josh. Come on. Seriously, how are we going to ever do this? That's a lot of, that's a lot of money. How? Well, first off, I guess my question back would be, well, why couldn't he do that? Why couldn't he? Then your response back might be, yeah, but come on, he's not going to. You know as well as I do. You ever gotten a check for a million dollars in the mail that didn't say Publishers Clearinghouse on the bottom of it? And if you win, you might get this money. I agree. You know, I, I agree. He's probably not going to do it that way. He, but he could. I mean, bear with me. He, he could just speak and all of it's done. Do you agree? That's our God. He could just uh, suddenly provide all the resources, right? He could. I don't think he will just do it that way, but why? Here's why. I, I think he could, but I think he won't. And the reason I don't think he will is because he desires to use us in that process. He desires to use you and me to do it. He's still going to be the one doing it. Don't mistake that. But he desires to use us in the process That's why he doesn't do a lot of things the easy way. Have you noticed that in life? That life is hard and you pray for God to do something and then you're like, okay, come on, God. And I I don't want to do anything. Come on. And then you find out, you know what? He's going to do it, but he's going to use me to do it. He's going to use me to do it and he's going to use you to do it. And that's the way he does so many things. He works this way a lot. It's an expression of his heart and of his character to involve his people in his work. I want to show you an example of it and give you some principles as we head out on this journey together. If you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 6 with me. John chapter 6. And uh, in, in, your, in your insert here this morning, there's a list of principles. That I don't know if they'll show up on the screen or not, if I'll get to them, but you've got them here. And these are principles drawn from this story as it relates to trusting the Lord to do the work. You're going, to remind, you're, going to, you're going to know this story. In fact, of all the stories of Jesus' ministry, this one might be one of the most well-known of anyone. Here's what it says, John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of Tiberias. And there was a large crowd following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus didn't discriminate between uh, church folk, uh, people outside in the community, whoever it was, he invited them to follow him and he, he served them and loved them. 
But they saw what he was up to, and so they started following him. In fact, they, they raced him around the other side of the lake and saw where he was getting out, and they met him there on the shore. And so when he got there, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now this gives us a clue of what time of year it would have been in the spring, but John's concern here is also theological for his people. It's Passover. Well, what, what, what did the Israelites celebrate at Passover? They celebrated God rescuing them from Egypt. And how did he do that? Well, uh, he provided, uh, he showed his power over the waters, parting the Red Sea, and he showed his power in providing food for them and manna out in the wilderness, right? Well, what are the next stories that, that John tells us about Jesus' life? We see him uh, showing power over the water, walking on the water, and then we show him talking about uh, being the bread of life that's provided for people in this earth, and even right here, providing bread for people. John's trying to point out, hey, pay attention. Um, it's Passover when he's going to do this. And what you're going to see, if you're really clued into what's happening at Passover, you're going to see uh, this is God. <laughs> Jesus is the Lord, creator, and king. And he's done many things for you in the past. So pay attention. So lifting up his eyes then, Jesus did, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, he says to Philip, Hey, where are, we, where are we going to buy bread so that all these people can eat? Now, the place that they're at is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee near a, near a town called Bethsaida. And there were three disciples from Bethsaida, Philip, Andrew, and Peter. And so they're near Philip's hometown. And there's literally, we find out later, thousands of people here waiting to hear from Jesus 5,000 men alone, not counting the women and children. So 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people. And Jesus goes to, to Philip, who, hey, Philip, you're from here, right? Hey, all these people, how, how can we feed them? You run into town, buy some bread. Can you take care of that for me? If that was you, I mean, Bethsaida, Milford's bigger than Bethsaida. Probably threefold, easily. And uh, so, so let's say we, uh, the Lord just does something amazing and all of a sudden we've got 5,000 people out here, just men and women and children. There's like 10,000, 11,000, 13, 15, 20,000 people uh, in our parking lot and, and we're worshiping, we're teaching, all this stuff. And I turn to you and I say, um, can you run into town and get some food for these people? We've been here a long time today. They're getting hungry. What would you do? What would you do? You'd look at me and seriously, Josh, come on. It, it's going to take a while. And even if, how am I going to pay for that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Figure that out. Just go get it. Okay, but even if I could pay for it, it's a small town. There's not, there's not supply for all these people in town. There's not enough. Are you crazy? I think you need to come up with a different plan. This isn't going to work. That's what Philip kind of does, doesn't he? Um, but we get a clue before Philip even answers in verse 6. It says, John says, Jesus said this to him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. He knew what he was about to do. Jesus had a plan. He had a plan. And he's going to work it. And when he makes a plan, it gets done. Loved ones, I believe with my whole heart, uh, this is the direction God's been leading us for a couple years. And that God has a plan and he desires to use us to accomplish it. 
But let's look at Philip. Let's not. Let's see how he responds. Philip answers Jesus. He says, um, "Jesus, two hundred denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to get a little." Do you know how much 200 denarii is? Denarii is about a day's wage. So 200 denarii is 8 to 12 months salary. Philip's like, um, Jesus, I gave up everything already to follow you. I, I, uh, I lost my job. I'm following you. Um, and it would take my entire salary from when, before I was following you, to, to give like a bite, like a, a wheat thin to all these people. Are you crazy? There's not enough. We can't do it. But Jesus was testing him. What was he testing him for? See, I think as we head on this, is faith, right? As we head on this journey, we're going to face some tests. One test is going to be our trust. Is our trust that the Lord is the one doing this? Is our trust in the leaders he's provided for us to lead us? The time they've invested? He's going to test our stuff. Am I willing to give of my time, talent, treasure? He's going to test our dependence. Are we going to trust Jesus to do the work? And you can pray for me on this because I tend to work way too hard sometimes out of my giftedness. And are we going to trust Jesus to do the work and not feel the weight of it all ourselves? We're going to have a test of focus. Is this really about Jesus And his kingdom, or is this just about a building? Because if it's just about a building, I'm telling you, it's going to fail in a heartbeat. It'll never happen. But if our focus is on the Lord, watch out. Watch out. I believe we'll see him do incredible things. Well, where was Philip's focus? Are you serious, Jesus? There's no way. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's other disciples who chime in, but we're not given their names. Uh, now, when it was evening, Matthew 14, 15, the disciples came to him and they said, This is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds into the villages to buy food for themselves. What do we got to do it for? Let them, just send them away. Let them take care of it. Come on. Jesus, I know you got a plan. I know you've been thinking about it. I know it's strategic. Okay, I get it, but... Come on, change of plans. Clearly not going to happen. That's just too much. Well, let's assume 10,000 people. Matthew says 5,000 is just the men, not counting women and children. So if there's 10,000 people, again, it's the the same amount of money today. If it took you $3 a head to feed 10,000 people, $30,000. If it was closer to 15,000 people, $45,000, which... The average, I think, household income in Kosciuszko County, or northern Kosciuszko County in Milford. That's a year's salary. How are we going to do this? 1.2 million, is he crazy? Are those leaders crazy? One of his disciples, another one, another one from Bethsaida, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, another of the Bethsaida boys, he says, uh, Well, Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Mark actually tells us Jesus had sent uh, some of the disciples out to see what they had. He said, okay, we're here. We've got to figure this out. Go check, see what you have available. What do we have available to feed these people? What do we have available to do it? Come back, let me know. He says, how many loaves, Mark 6.38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we got five and two fish. Go out and see. I wonder how, think about this. 
Now, join with me, right? Engage your imagination here. Uh, Jesus and his 12 disciples, thousands of people being taught. They're getting hungry. Jesus says to a couple of them, um, uh, go uh, see how much food we have because we've got to feed these people. They're thinking, he's lost it. There's no way. But they go see. You've got 5,000 men, 5,000 families here. What do they come back with? Five loaves and two fish. What does that tell you about the people? Come on, you know, I, I bet we could probably come up with more food out of some of your pockets right now in this room. Some of you got snacks. I know you do. You do, don't you? You got snacks in your purse. My wife's laughing because I know she probably does. You, you don't think any of those people had food with them? And what did they come back with? Five loaves and two fish. From who? The boy. This little boy. Imagine, they go around, hey, do you have enough? Uh, can we, you, no, sorry, I just, I only got this for me. I don't have enough to give. How about you? No, no, just, I got this, not enough, I'm sorry. How about you? No, I just got this, not enough, I'm sorry. And it goes round and round and round. And then finally, this little boy hears, and he goes, um, hey, I, you can have my lunch. I wonder what his reaction was to him. What was Andrew's reaction to this little boy? Uh, no, that's okay, you keep your lunch, it's okay. You know, don't. I'm wondering if that happened and if he wasn't just persistent. No, seriously, I, I want to give. Take it. Take it. And so the, he comes back to Jesus and maybe the boy trails along. I don't know. Use your imagination as you read this text. Put yourself in the spot. Maybe the boy comes along and Andrew goes to Jesus. Um, nothing. Nobody's, nobody's got anything. And, well, I, this boy has five loaves and two fish. <laughs> That's it. You know, it was really sweet of him, but I mean, we, there's no way that's enough. That's, what's he say? How, what are they for so many? I wonder if in this next moment, Jesus looks at the little boy, takes the bread and the fish, looking at him, maybe even smiles a little bit and says to the others, have the people sit down. He knew what he was about to do, didn't he? Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. The other Gospels tell us they sat down, and Jesus told them to sit down in groups of 50 and hundreds. And then Jesus took the loaves. Loaves, not like, not like the bread you buy, but like a loaf like that. Five of them. Barley loaves, too. Barley was the bread for the poor. If you were rich, you had wheat bread. So barley loaves and a couple fish. And... Um, when he had given thanks, he started. He distributed, distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish. Now, how long do you suppose that lasted? I bet he didn't get through that first group of fifty, did he? What's it say? How much did he give them? As much as they needed, right? Just enough to fill them up to get them through the rest of the day, and that's it. Just enough, no more. No, he gave them all that they wanted. He's generous, isn't he? So generous that he's actually, the term is prodigal. He's wasteful. There's 12 baskets full of broken pieces left at the end. And the broken pieces, fragments remind us that, you know what, they ate all they could and this was left over. And they were full. And that's what was gathered up. 
when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, um, gather the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. He knew what he was going to do. He wanted to prove to them what he was up to and who he was. Again, not their need, but their fill. They were completely satisfied. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Um, Loved ones, God gives generously to us as we seek him and as we trust him. That's not prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that God makes, you know, all your wildest dreams come true. He doesn't. But he gives generously to his kids. Especially those who are committed to using those gifts for his glory, others' good, and enjoying them for their own joy themselves. Jesus could have simply spoken. He could have simply said, let there be bread. Do you believe that? Yeah, but did he? No. He decided he was going to use these people. He was going to use this young boy's gift. We've got a plan we put together. and That'd be awesome if Jesus just went, you know what? There you go. Go get him. I don't think he's going to do that. Because he wants to use us to do it. To use our gifts to accomplish his mission. Here's some principles for you to be thinking about as we head out on this journey together. Um, We're unable to accomplish anything by ourselves, friends. If this is on us, write it off. (laughs) Write it off now. We need the Lord. Let's seek him together. That's the invitation. Will you join us in seeking him? God challenges us to trust him in everything, even the uncomfortable. Because he's in control, do you believe he's sovereign? He already knows what he's going to do. We don't, but he does. Let's seek him and find out. Principle four I see here is that personal sacrifice is the beginning of God's miraculous work. This little boy's sacrifice is what started it, wasn't it? And God multiplies what we surrender to him can't tell you how many times when I've given up my time, God multiplies it back to me. When I give up my treasure, God multiplies it back to me. It's unbelievable. We're most satisfied when God's at work in us, not doing it ourselves. In Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ever asked or even imagined. You believe it? Friends, you're invited to join us on this journey. It's going to be fun. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we're going to see the Lord work. I believe that with my whole heart. Will you join us? I hope you will. It starts with prayer. And there's things you can pray about this week even. And uh, prayer gathering coming up. And next week, a new series on generosity. But with that, let me pray now. Uh, We'll take our offering. And uh, we'll sing and call it a morning. And by the way, I'll, I'll be around up here afterwards. And uh, maybe some of the guys from the board, you can join me. If you have questions, um, please ask them. We're not trying to hide anything. That we, we want, we're going to publish a big FAQ to try to answer all your questions and explore all this together on this journey. So, yeah, yeah? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us. Lord, um, you are our creator our God and our King. Uh, You've provided 
all that we need, and you often provide even all that we want. Because you love us, because you're good. Helps us to steward those gifts well. And Father, I pray for our church as we head out on this journey. Um, uh, you know my heart. I believe that this is where you're leading us. I pray others, um, you would show yourself to them too, not uh, by anyone twisting their arm, but Holy Spirit, by you simply doing the work in their hearts. Jesus, help us keep our eyes on you. And through all of this, might we see, uh, Jesus, you get greater glory through our church. Might we see others uh, in our church and in our community receive greater good. And might you show us and give to us deeply in our hearts and in our families greater joy. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this through him. Amen.